So everyone, one of our first episodes Josh and I ever did talked about the analog and digital worlds and the relationship between the two. Right. And we thought it would be kind of fun to revisit this. We got a lot of positive feedback on the actual episode when we launched it. It was like, what was that? Like our second episode, Brian? Something like that. Yeah. And, you know, look, honestly, Josh and I have gotten better at what we do on this right. podcast to uh, to re-record and kind of re-riff. Uh, launch out onto the loop with us today as we discuss the analog constructs revisited today on Curiosity Continuum. Everybody, this is Josh. And this is Brian. Welcome to the podcast for Curiosity Continuum. Curiosity Continuum is an ever-growing collection of content designed to ignite your creative talents and power up your critical thinking skills. Master your world by learning the essentials needed to thrive in this century. We share conversations that explore, examine, reframe practical topics that help you learn something new and apply what you already know in a new way in the constantly changing world. Be sure to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app to receive notifications of new podcast content. If you like what you hear and want to dive deeper, be sure to sign up for our newsletter. Visit us at curiositycontinuum.com. And you can also check out what is in the works right now, which is our learning community called Nucleus. Thanks so much. And let's start the conversation. All right, Brian. So when we originally recorded this whole thing, we just started off talking about how we grew up between like the analog and the digital divide, basically, right? We did, and it was the age before the internet was <laughs> before the popular. internet. But computers were around, which is something amazing, actually. That it's hard, it's hard to remember a time when we didn't have the internet, right? Yeah, this was. Um, it, I think it's so pervaded life. You go like, oh yeah, like that's that wasn't a thing at one point. I think we watch it on TV, like Stranger Things, or you know, all your '80s retro movies. Go, oh, that's what life was like prior to this. It's like, well, mm-hmm. yeah, and people who had those seeds of the analog foundations, this is how the world works, uh, understood that this world actually worked without the technology beforehand. We can talk about innovations and things, but the world still exists. And if technology went away, the world would still exist. It would just be a very different kind of world now. We've become so dependent on those things. Right. And I think that it's also kind of important to note that people are analog. We are not natively digital beings, right? We are a collection of, you know, at the very basic level like we're, we're a machine but a bio machine like a biomechanical machine really and that we store memories and things chemically so we are considered technically considered analog beings so that comes natural to us right and the digital part is not so natural but it's pers- really kind of been very pervasive in everyday life like brian was talking about and these things help us do our life but it's not core to life so zoom right has been a word that if you didn't know what it was prior to lockdowns around the world, you know what it is now. It's, uh, you know, and I, I don't know anybody that doesn't have some type of ambivalent feeling toward Zoom, not because they're not a good company, but it's because you had to force analog relationship constructs into a digital universe. Right. And so it was good because you could see your grandma, you could see your coworkers, you could have meetings, you could do other things, but you still lacked that in-the-room interaction. Yeah, the fallacy of, of this technology was that we thought, or the, the people providing the technology said it was a substitute for being in the room with somebody. Now, that's true. It is a substitute for that, but it's a poor substitute. <laughs> right, the, especially when I think about things like VR or even mm-hmm. augmented reality platforms. You know, So my son has an Oculus, 
and he loves that thing. Right. And you know, he he will play in it, but like he knows even like he takes breaks to go. Like, okay, I need to just give my brain a break. It's a different world. Oh sure. And you can become immersed in it. It's fun playing Beat Saber or um, other games. It's a lot of entertainment. Your brain kind of has to go. Oh wait, this is the real world. I got to come back to it. Yeah, and part of that is like with the digital thing. It's trying to trick you into thinking it's real when it's not. So it's trying to uh, approximate the experience right now primarily through sight, right? And there is some like tactical feedback, uh, tactile feedback, I should say, uh, that is incorporated into like VR platforms right now. But it's very rudimentary. <laughs> Look, 10 years from now, who knows what's going to happen? I mean, you might put on, it might be like a minority report kind of thing where it's we're like totally immersed in it and all of our senses are being used you know sight smell everything which actually is kind of scary from a standpoint of i just think technology right brian yeah i mean you don't want the matrix to be like the self-fulfilling prophecy where you wake up and you wake up one day and it's terminator (laughs) outside you know i mean that's not (laughs) that's not (laughs) not where we want to go skynet's actually realized that we are the problem and now we're gonna be just yeah Purge. Just taken out of the equation, you know? Yeah. I uh, <laughs> see a problem with that whole future. Right. So I think between this whole thing, I think I want to drive the conversation a little bit. Let's talk about why the analog foundations are important. Okay. So, Maybe. yeah, in a digital world, here's, you still have to have like servers. Right. So here's what's interesting to me. So if you go way back in the time, not too long ago, there were, you know, and there still are, but when you had like a business, for example, and Josh has set up some of these with his dad and his growing up, it's like you had a server room right. and you had things going on in that server room yep. and you wired up the company, right? Yeah. Okay. So that's like physical hardware to like, and there's a, there's a power supply going into that. You're plugged into the power grid, right? There's all these dependencies to make that thing work. Correct. Then when you had like cloud server technology and things like that, well, you still have to have these servers somewhere, but it's like you now had access not where it didn't have to be in your building. Yeah, it was out of sight, out of mind. You know, it was that the thing that humans do where if I don't see it, it's not a problem. Yeah. Until you drive by a building in the middle of nowhere and it's this huge warehouse and you're like, what the heck is that? Well, that's a server farm or that's, you know, that's the Microsoft Azure cloud that's the cloud. That's like part of it. <laughs> yeah. It's not I mean, actually, it's, a, it's not actually a cloud. <laughs> no, a I mean, they have to have a physical location to store this data. I mean, think about like YouTube, how much video content they have that they have to store somewhere. <laughs> it's probably know? the size of a small city, honestly. Right. Right. And it's probably, it's decentralized. So it's spread out all throughout the world. So what happens in, in those situations is that like, it's uh, when it's decentralized, like you can't like strike one part of it. And like the whole thing goes down, you know, it can, obviously you can damage certain things or certain nodes in it. People, I think when they think about the cloud, it just is like this concept of like, well, why isn't over here? You know? So like it's, I talked to somebody recently and they're going, and they're just not as quite as tech savvy. And they said, well, it's in the cloud, but there's different accounts. They had Google, they had Dropbox, they had Amazon photos and like, where are my photos? Well, they're in the cloud technically, but there's still these components that you do. It's not just like one big thing that you grab from. There has to be ways for it to come back into the real world. Right. And that's why the foundations of analog being who we are, meeting people in person, you know, doing that in-person dinner, that kind of thing. Those are important. Not only do we derive, first of all, intense satisfaction, even if you're an introverted person like myself, you really do get energized when you meet people 
talk to people. Now you're going to get very overwhelmed very quickly. And that's a difference between I've always learned. I've learned that over the last year or so that the difference between me and like Brian, for example, like Brian will just keep going. He'll push himself just to keep going. I just kind of tap out eventually. And I'll be like the guy just sitting in the corner, you know, (laughs) because I just can't handle it. Like I get to the point where I'm like, I got to just stop talking, just stop connecting. My brain just starts going crazy. And it's a really weird feeling. It's like, I'm like, I can feel it coming on. So I'm like, okay, I know I got to kind of simmer it down now, but this helps everybody, you know? And I think it's something that even introverted people like myself can learn. Yeah, you know, it, I'll, I'll, I, when you, I'm thinking about like those uh, networking situations or social situations. I know there are times I just had like <laughs> a real emotional human moment going in because you're tired and shagged out. You don't want to see anybody at the moment. You're like, I got to go right. in. Ah. You throw a little fit. And it always turns out fine. You go like, hey, I'm going to talk to three people. Yeah. <laughs> I have, I have yeah. my two or three questions I'm armed with and it's going to work. And it always turns out wonderful. And this is why it's, um, there's actually, let's talk about this social construct of the analog world. Yeah. When Josh and I are are in a room, so let's, (laughs) we have a scenario, people. Josh and I are in a room moving about the space. Right. And let's say that we're just in like a meeting hall, right? And there's people talking. Let's say they they have drinks going and stuff like that. You have real time feedback to adjust how, what you're saying, how you're saying it. You have the ability to kind of like see other things outside of that one conversation experience. You have to filter through it. You have to decide what's important. You have to engage your senses. Yeah. And what you want to listen to basically. Yeah. Yeah. And so while the digital world is getting better at the approximation of like, Hey, it's just kind of like, like the internet of things, like all these little things are somehow connected. The human mind, actually, when you're in a social situation, you have to do all this situational problem solving. You're adapting constantly mm-hmm. in those things, right? It's like, I'm aware, like, here comes a waiter and they're about to bump into me or, you know, here's a server, you know, wh- whatever the conversation may be or the situation, you are constantly responding and also being proactive in something. It's a much richer feedback thing and like josh said digital is trying to approximate that and i think what happens is like when people start to feel kind of the is digital depression a word josh i don't know i thought i may have read that once or something it's like or like a digital dystopia okay well we're gonna coin that i mean i mean it can be let's go for it you know mentioned here first on the podcast (laughs) (laughs) or like a digital dystopia it's something where you realize this is not the this is part of an experience and it might even be novel and it might be cool, but there's elements missing. It's because you're still sitting in a chair, maybe talking on a zoom. You still have all those other things going on. You're trying to focus on this, this particular instance. You know, it's like, I'm trying to find the words for it, Josh. It there's, I know what you're saying. It's, it is really like, it is the approximation. It's just approximating one part of the experience. All the other sensory stuff is just not happening. So the the audio that we're getting, like the peripheral vision you're not getting. I mean, I'm like in an office and Brian's in an office and we're talking to each other over Zoom. We're not really physically there. So we don't really see a lot of the body language unless the camera hits it. Uh, Both Brian and I are very animated talkers. We talk with our hands quite a lot. And so like you only see what the camera picks up, you know? Right. And that kind of stuff is important because when you're, even if you don't notice it, you're, you do subconsciously pick that stuff up. And I think that's what people are realizing with this approximation, like digital approximation with things, why it's just a little off, you know, it's not quite 
it's not quite what we would consider normal, you know? And it's gotten better? Like, again, right. kind of... But way better. Here's a great, I mean, way better, but... Way better. But so I, I want to uh, harken back to early aughts, and I went actually to the digital showing of uh, Star Wars, Phantom Menace, when it first came out. Sure. I saw the non-digital, and then I saw the digital version. They actually had both in theaters. I don't know if okay. people remember that. but this No, I just was... saw the only one that my small town had, which I'm pretty sure was the non-digital. So. I got you. <laughs> so this was 2002, and I was living out in California, and it was the Sherman Oaks Galleria, the big th- movie theater that was there. I have a funny story to go along with that, where uh, the guy I sat next to was a little bit funny. <laughs> and, uh, I'll, we're, real quick thing, we kind of sit down in the theater, and... So what I'm doing also now is taking like this little analog detour before I get to the story, which in digital would be like, what the heck is that all about? This guy sat next to me and he was very kind and polite. He he said, hey, how are you doing? Is this the guy with the pea pods? Yes, this is the guy with the pea pods. <laughs> this guy's wife pulled out like all this produce from the grocery store out of her bag. You know, people try to like. Feed, she got a feed bag in her purse. You know? I know. People are trying to sn- smuggle gummy bears in or something. She's got produce. <laughs> and he opens up this like pound bag of pea pods and he looks at me, would, would you like some pea pods? And I'm like, uh, I- I'm okay, but thank you. He goes, are you sure they're crisp and delicious? I'm like, I appreciate it, sir, but I think I'm okay. And that was it. I've never seen anybody else smuggle produce into a um, a movie theater. Maybe they start offering it as a healthy alternative to like the the Butterfinger. <laughs> That's you know. The problem is they would be rotting in there because people don't go to theaters to eat good things. Yeah, you're true. That's probably why they had to smuggle it in because. Right. <laughs> I mean, I think you pe- could just walk right in with that. I don't even think they were going to give a crap. You know, well. you just come on in and say, "Look, I'm taking the peapods," <laughs> or just look at you weird and just walk right in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what I would do. <laughs> This guy was so eating this produce, and it turns on. And so I had seen the the non digital version first, sure. and I enjoyed it for what it was. And then I saw the digital version because I really wanted to see the difference. Now at this point, like Josh, it's gotten much better, but I remember watching it and looking at the colors, and looking and listening to the sound, especially because I'm a musician, and I'm like, it just sounds cold. And like, usually what that has translated to, if you're not a musician, it sounds cold. Like, what does that mean? If you listen to like records or you listen to something that's an analog form of. It's uh, the actual sound. It's the actual sound. And the medium itself is imparting its own characteristics to it. Right. So there's like this natural distortion in the upper frequencies that just kind of warms everything up. It's kind of fuzzy. And it's like. That's part of the nature of it transmitting sound to your ear, and people got used yeah. to that. Yep. So n- now you have digital that doesn't have the the medium kind of imparting its own uh, color to the sound, and you're like, why does that sound cold? It's because it's doing it exactly the way it does. The, and it should be like, well, why wouldn't you want to listen to that? Well, it's because you had so many other things that were contributing to the experience right. that you go like, oh, it actually wasn't perfect. Part of the reason that like records have taken off again is because it's an entire experience. Like you go, you buy a record, you open the record up, you look at it, you're like, oh, this is beautiful. You know, it's shiny black. You put it on your record player, you put, you close it, you push a button and the needle goes on and you're, and then the sound plays. And it's a little crackly. It sounds just like, it just sounds you know better that's the warmness brian's talking about like it's the actual sound 
reproduce. It's not a reproduction of the sound, which is what digital is doing. It takes out all the characteristic, and because because we're not perfect, and humans are like used to imperfect things. I think so. It just sounds like more. You have a personal connection with it. It's an emotional connection, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of times too. So my son really likes uh, EDM, which is electronic dance music, and a lot of electronica. Yeah, and. Uh, I eventually soon want to get him some type of, of editing station where he can just start to play with these things. Sure. But what a lot of uh, DJs and producers have done, especially, is they will actually change. It's called, well, if you quantize something in music, what that basically means is that you have uh, the ability to kind of snap some imperfections to be perfect, right? Because human beings can have a really excellent sense of time. We can talk about musicians all day long on another uh, podcast or something. But when a machine will say, okay, here's exactly 100 beats a minute and it clicks it off, it's perfect. There's nothing that deviates from it. It's a perfect 100 beats per minute. But it starts to sound like it doesn't, why does it sound like it's sterile? It's because human beings, when they play music and you're a musician and you have, uh, your fingers are touching strings or keys or something, there's physical things that happen and that you, they're actually controlling, they're kind of playing around the time. Absolutely. It's not the, Right. It's not the letter of the 100 beats. It's like how I'm feeling. And am I playing a little behind? I always explain to young musicians that when they think about time, it's, it's everybody's responsibility in a band to have an excellent sense of time. That doesn't mean that you play everything exactly Perfect. all together. Right. But you have the concept of like this beat that happens in a moment and it's like a ball. And I said like, depending on where you're placing and responding to others, like you may be on front of the beat, which means that the leading edge of the ball as it's going to hit that hundred beats a minute will feel different than if you play it right on top or right behind. So a great example of that, if you listen to beach boys, right? Carol Kay is uh, one of the base legends in the world. Started playing professionally in 1949 on jazz guitar. And then in the sixties, when the bass player didn't show up for the gig, she picked up the electric bass and basically transformed the instrument and was one of those early pioneers on the electric bass. She, from her jazz background, always played, you know, just a little bit on top of the beat. And if you listen to the Beach Boys records and she played on all those, you have that. It kind of like it's feels California-ish. It's like moving along and it kind of has like this forward motion feeling, right? And then you listen to something like uh, D'Angelo where Pino Palladino played on it and way behind the beat, they feel differently. And it's not something that you, if you're not looking at a screen to go, why does that, it feels a certain way. And when you look at it, it's like, well, because this person's playing it here, this person's playing this here, and it's a series of compromises in the real world that you almost have to program in now. So when I talk about producers and EDM, they're actually building imperfectness into their songs to make it feel more human. Right. Which is, it's funny, but... It's like a crazy you, concept, but it's what they're doing. Yeah, like you notice those things. Yeah. It, it's, it's like, oh, the man. The same with like AI, like um, AI, when they're talking to you on the phone now. Yes. Like they'll be like, oh, just wait a second. And you can hear them. It's, they'll do imperfections on purpose. Yes. And so, and you know, like it's just a crazy conversation. It's a crazy technology. It's so when we, uh, let's talk about that for a minute too, because that, that's a conversation thing. So I know like there was a whole, uh, the, the Turing test, right? Basically where can a machine kind of appear as enough of a human being to be able to convince a human being that they're not a machine. Right. Right. Okay, so it's like uh that yeah exactly the Turing test and then the uncanny divide and all that. So why don't we put a comma here and let's just go on with another episode for later with that okay. conversation. 
Sounds good. We'll wrap this one here. Until next time, this is Brian. And this is Josh. For Curiosity Continuum.